If you have a Bible this morning, and you'll read along in our scripture text, I don't intend to be long today. The last famous lying words of a preacher. Uh, The book of John chapter 6 is where we're going to take our reading this morning. The book of John chapter 6. And we're going to read verse 59 through verse 71. So in the gospel of John chapter 6, beginning in verse 59 and reading down to verse 71. says this, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, speaking of Jesus. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This isn't a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and art sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, of the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And that'll conclude our reading this morning. That's reading the book of John, chapter 6, verse 59 through 71. The title of our message this morning, I want to be very careful on how I say it, because I want to make sure that I put the emphasis on the right word. The title of our message this morning is, Do You Really Want Christ? Depending on how you say that, it could have a different meaning. I could say, Do You Really Want Christ? But rather, I would like to pose the question, Do You Really Want Christ? So we're not talking about to what degree you desire something but rather the object of your desire. Do you really want Christ? And that's a really important question, especially within our religious sphere. Preceding these events in John chapter 6, to really understand what the power of what is going on here and the significance of what is going on, I believe all of chapter 6, wisely, the person who divided this text, I believe started chapter 6 in a good place and finished it in a good place, because if you're going to read, you need to read all of chapter 6 to really get the gist of what is going on here. Right? We read in the very first part of a very famous account of Jesus going and preaching to a multitude of people. And there were at least 5,000 men there. 
There may have been, that could have encompassed all of them, or it may have just been talking about men, addition of women and children. And so we know that there have been thousands that have gathered, and Jesus has preached unto them, and it's time for them to eat. And so they begin to search for what they have, and he asks one of his disciples and says, how much would it cost for us to feed all of them? And the disciple tells him an astronomical number. And they said, you know, the only thing we have, and if you read it, it almost seems like they're just making a joke. Somebody has just said, look at all this that we have. And it would be the equivalent of if we were going to feed our church and one of the parents that has snacks says, you know, we don't really have anything other than these goldfish, right? Or this little snack over here is all that we have. And it's spoken in a sense that we know that's not going to feed everybody. And the disciples come to him and say, you know, there's just this lad here and he has, you know, five loaves and two fishes. But what is that among all of us? And so Jesus, as you know the story well, he prays, he blesses that, he hands it to his disciples and his disciples begin to disseminate this food until all the people in the thousands are completely filled. Then they take up all these fragments extra. I'm not going to get off on this, but I can't help but, but remark. That's how I feel so often that my life is. You know, I'm looking to God for something. And I'm asking God, Lord, please grant this prayer. Please help me. Please answer this. And I have all the concerns of my heart. And I'm looking to heaven. And I'm questioning, what do I do? And how much further can I go? And I console, I'm a a pretty analytical person and I seek a lot of people's input and advice and I'll call people whom I respect and I'll call people who I consider an expert at something and I'll get their advice. And so often the greatest needs of our heart do not lie in the wisdom of man, but God alone can satisfy you, but he does it in a way that is completely unexpected to the person. I can't help but think of my life and I'm sure many of you think of yours, and just see that when you're looking to God for answers, God not only fills your needs, but gives you an abundance for you and all those around you, and then you have a whole lot more left over than you could have ever imagined. And God did it in the most unexpected of ways through the smallest of means, that little boy. Here, Christ feeds the 5,000 miraculously and the people become excited. They know what's going on. They know he performed a miracle. And it begins to spread through them that this man did this and they want to take him and they want to make him their king. They're convinced that lying within him is perhaps the Messiah, the man who they thought was going to come and overthrow bondage of the Romans and he was going to be their king. And so they want to make him their king and he rushes away and escapes from the crowd and retreats because his time had not yet come. His disciples get on a boat And they take off, and we learn of the famous account where Jesus is walking on the water, and eventually he gets on the boat, and they go to the other seaside. And then we find something very important that took place. And this is the gist of our thought this morning. The people start looking for him. They want to find him. And so they go, and they begin to search and seek him. And they get on a boat and they cross to the other side. 
And they find him. And they kind of confront him in a sense, wanting him. And Jesus reveals something to them about the condition of their heart that is something that is so profound for us to consider. This is what he says in verse 26 of the scripture reading from the text. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat with meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You see, these people were coming to Jesus because they had an ulterior motive. In other words, Jesus was a means to an end. They recognized, now it's hard for us to conceive of life at this time, where basically people spend every waking hour of their life trying to subsist, trying to make enough where they could just survive and provide enough, provide enough food and shelter and clothing for their family. That's what their whole lives were built around. And now they have found the genie in the bottle, right? They have found that person, that man who can do anything. He had shown them profoundly his natural powers that God had given to him. And so they begin to seek after him for what he can do for their flesh. And I would say this morning that so many people today that come to religion or come to seek after God, the reason they're coming to God is not for Christ, but rather it's for what Christ can do for them. Right, we can turn on the TV this morning and you can flip through all the religious channels and what you would likely find is many men preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine that if all you'll do is serve God, your life will get better and you'll feel good and he'll answer your prayers and he'll be your little genie that you can carry around anywhere you go and if you have a wish or if you start suffering, God will remove those things and they advocate to Christians Please do, or excuse me, to other people to become a Christian because of what Christ can do for them. This morning, we can fall into that, can't we? We can dangerously fall into that. Come to God because he'll give you a purpose in life. Come to God because you want to get out of hell. Come to God because you can be part of this wonderful church. Come to God because you, you won't have to continue to feel these bad feelings anymore. And I'll confess to you this morning that each one of those things is a wonderful benefit of knowing Jesus Christ. And the reality, I can't imagine if I was lost, even doing things, you know, here not too long ago, most of you already know that I hit a deer and it kind of shook me up a little bit. Last night I was driving home, same road, about the same time of night. And you know, just a little trepidation, just a little hesitation. Ironically, it seems like I see deer everywhere now, right? Heightens that. And yet last night I was thinking, you know, if I didn't know the Lord, I probably wouldn't have made this trip. I'm just being honest. The reality of what Punishment and judgment awaits for those that don't know God would be a life-altering knowledge to me. Right when I was a kid, I was a, 
basketball player, and I was a, I was a pretty rough one. I, was, I would just throw my body at anything. And I got a lot of injuries because of that. And I was pretty foolish. But you know, honest, honesty, I would take risks sometimes, both in sports and outside of sports, always knowing that I had the ultimate insurance. That if something happened, at least I would know God many times when we would go through trainings at school about, about uh, active shooters and whether they would come in and they would tell us this is the things that we're supposed to do. And it basically amounted to going into a room, turning off the lights, hiding and hoping they don't find you. And all I could think about that time is I'm surrounded by 2,000, almost 2,500 other people, majority of which don't know God. But I have this, this safety this insurance, and I don't know what, what I would do in those moments, but I hope God would grace me with the courage to be willing to risk my temporary life for the sake of the eternal well-being of other people. Because this life is fleeting, and if God has appointed that to be my time, and yet it might preserve the eternity of somebody else, what greater love, how greater could we emulate the person of Christ than to give our lives for people who don't know him? Here, people seek after God for all these different reasons. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing to seek after God and to be driven. The Bible teaches us in the 116th Psalm that the pains of hell got a hold of David. And so there is a sense to which knowing where our eternal destination is. I've heard many people. There was a man this week in Revival who talked about how his mother died and, and, and she died at a very young age. And so he grew up without a mom. And he never knew, he felt like, what love felt like. And he would watch other mothers embrace their children and show love to their children. And he wanted to know what true love was. And so he began to seek after God because he wanted to know what true love was. And praise the Lord, he found him. And he testified to us here just last night about how here lately, he said, I haven't thought about my mom since the day she died that much, because I didn't know her that well. But here lately, all I could think is about her. He said, I'm almost 70 years old. And I began to realize, you know, I never felt love like that as a kid, but I felt the love of God and I felt it ever since. But I can't wait to get to heaven and experience his love with her love. But listen, this morning, these people were seeking after God for reasons that I would consider secondary. They're good. They're notable. And the Bible preaches them to us. And we ought to advocate to our friends and family, yes, all of these things are true. But friend, today I want you to know that above all of those things, you need to seek Christ to know the person of Jesus Christ. We think about hell, and we think about all the punishments of hell, and our weak, feeble-minded understanding of what hell is like. We, we learn from the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, through the words of Jesus. For anybody that doesn't believe that hell is a real place, realize that Jesus Christ himself, God on earth, spoke about hell more than any other person in all the Bible, because he's the only one that truly knew what it was like. He tells us 
about hell and its real place. And the Bible says that there is weeping, there's gnashing of teeth, there's darkness, utter darkness, that people are cast there, that there are burning flames that people will endure. But let me tell you this this morning, that the greatest pains of hell that you will experience is being separated from that man, Jesus Christ. I better came to understand that the first time that I went to Africa. I had never been really separated from my bride. I'd never really been separated from my culture. I'd never really been separated from the safety of our laws, from the familiarity of our food, from the familiarity of everything that I had grown so accustomed to, the technologies and the conveniences. And then I took a plane and I went over to Africa. And let me tell you, it was a different world. The smell, the moment they opened the door, I could smell something different. It didn't smell like America. That sounds strange, but once you go, you know what I mean. The smell was different. The weather was different. The people were different. Their language was different. And it didn't take me very long not to like it very much. And you know what I didn't like about it? I didn't understand any of it. I wasn't familiar to any of it. You know, it was two or three days later, humorously, I tried to call my wife. At the time, it was my girlfriend. She didn't answer. And I left her a voicemail that said, I'm all the way in Africa, and I'm calling, and you're not answering your phone? <laughs> and I was, I was desperate. I just wanted to hear something familiar. Just a voice from home. Just somebody that I loved. Somebody I cared about to take me away from this place that from a natural standpoint I didn't care for very much. And that's when it began to dawn on me. Sitting in Mombasa, Kenya in this room, I was first time I ever read the book of Revelation all the way through. I was sitting in that room. I began to read about a little bit about heaven, a little about hell. And that's why where it sat in on me, that would be the worst part of hell. You're in hell, separated from everyone that you love. You don't have a phone. You don't have a moment of relief. You don't have even the anticipation that at some point this is going to end. You know, that's the one thing every time I've gone to Africa, it's gotten longer and longer that I've been able to endure. But still, nonetheless, when I get there, you know, sometimes it's six, seven, eight days in now, I start missing home. And I start feeling this anticipation, and I, I talk myself through it. Three days. Three days. Go and do all these things. You'll go to sleep tonight, and then you'll just have two days left. And hell, it won't be that way. And of all the people that you're going to be separated from, you'll be separated from one who could never, in words, be described the unique closeness that you share when you know Jesus Christ. You ever seen somebody whose spouse passed away and they didn't prepare for it? And that's what's so hard about children passing away is that it's unnatural. Since I was a little boy, the thoughts, the knowledge that my parents would pass away has always been with me. And so as you face those things, they're hard, but they're not crushing. In similar fashion, your spouse, right? Oh, I, 
suspect, and just like probably many of you do, you know, you get this feeling, I'll probably die before my spouse will. But you still recognize the possibility that you're wrong. And so you prepare yourself for that possibility that something could happen. Today, if you're lost, that anticipation, that preparation, you'll have none of it. You'll be there forever, separated from the presence of Jesus Christ. Here, these men came to Jesus, and he began to tell them something very hard. And he said, I have to be... It's the same message that we preach today. You know, my mom's husband was telling me yesterday a story about whenever he was lost. He, was, he went to this church, and he was hurting. He was seeking after God. He was in his 50s. I believe he was 51 years old. And he was seeking after God, and he had been deceived many times, but he knew something's not right. So he went to this church that a friend went to, and he walked down the aisle. And he said, I got on my knees right there, and I just... I was so heavy, I was, I was crying and I was praying and none of those people knew anything about that kind of religion. They knew nothing about seeking and finding God. And he said, I didn't find relief, but I had kind of cried myself out and so I went back to my seat. He said, later that week I went golfing with a friend and he invited the pastor to come along. And the pastor, as they were talking with one another, said, you know, Monty, I just want to tell you, those people at our church that occasionally come forward and they get down and they weep and they cry, they never last long. It's just those people who come up and decide to become a Christian, those are the people that usually stick with it. He said to me, he had no idea how true what he was saying was. Right? That saying all those words is what religion has turned into today. Being set, and the reason is because it's easy. But Jesus taught us a completely different thing. That becoming a Christian is difficult in the sense that it requires a surrender of self. You must give everything over to God and want Him. You know, there, I've heard people say, I heard somebody not too long ago say, you know, I thought I was going to get saved this way. I was going to come, I was going to pray, and then I was going to stand up in the church and I was going to start shouting all over the place. And so he said, anytime we would get in a service and there would be anything spiritual going on, I would run to the altar whether I felt like it or not because I was determined I was going to do something my way. I knew the way that I was going to get saved was this way. You know, I have to get rid of that too. Everything. But that's hard for people. Strive to enter in at the straight gate is what Jesus taught us to do. Striving, seeking. I can remember so, it's so present upon my mind when I was seeking after the Lord and I would call out to God and I would pray and I would pray and I would thinking, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm giving it, I'm doing whatever you want, Lord, you can have. I didn't even realize that even giving it all up took the Lord helping me. I mean, think about that. The Bible says what's required is repentance and faith, right? You've got to turn from sin and put your faith in Christ, but also be given faith by Jesus Christ. 
Even the prayers that you are praying, you must recognize in and of themselves, they are insufficient to merit salvation or to deserve salvation. But it is when a man and a woman comes to the end of themselves and says, God, if you don't do this, I will never be saved. It is the dependence that God is not only the end result, but he is the one that will help you to have the faith to trust him sufficiently. It was a hard saying for these people. And so what did many of them do? What so many people do today, they give up. They just quit. They say, you know what? I'm going to find an easier way. And that's what many churches have done today, is they found an easier way, a fast food method to feeding the soul. You can microwave it. You can use all sorts of things that are not good for the body and not good for the soul. And that's what religion has done, and it has temporarily satisfied but eternally it won't. Here these men, it was a hard saying. And they turned back. And Jesus asked this question. He says this, will you also go away? I asked you that question this morning. We have chronic seekers here this morning. I mean just people who have sought for a long time. Friend, I have great sympathy for you. I know it's hard. I know it's so frustrating. I want to give you the right sermon. I want to give you the right words. I want to tell you this is exactly what you do. Just like every person in this room, if there was something that we could do, I promise you we would move mountains to do it. I know that it's hard. I know that it requires patience and diligence and walking away being discouraged and heartbroken again and again. And there's the temptation to become almost whimsical and just say, forget it. Forget it. I've tried. I've done all the things. All the things that people have told me to do. I've done it. But it's just too hard. And yet the testimonies that we hear Over and over, I reiterate to you this morning, and I say it over and over because I know that you're on the precipice of not believing it. God will save you. Sister Wheat said it this morning. God will save you. He wants to save you more than you want to be saved, believe it or not. And that's hard to hear this morning. And I recognize it's hard. You don't have to understand it. You just need to persevere and continue seeking him. The Bible says this, many of those people walked away because of how hard of a saying that it was. And they walked with him no more. And so he looked to a group of those that were closest to him and said, will you also go away? And Peter gave such a profound statement that if nothing, if, everything, if you have every reason in the world to give up, and you put the balance before you, and you've listed all the reasons why you ought to give up, and you've listed all the times that you sought the Lord and failed, and all the times where you felt discouraged, and all the things where you said, I don't ever want to feel this way again, and you put those on the balance, and you say, you know what, this is a heavy weight, and I'm just, I have all the reasons to give up. 
You ever had an argument with somebody and you had, you thought, I've got all the list of reasons why they're wrong. And then they give you one word or one sentence or one reason. And in that moment, it strikes you in such a fashion that all of your reasons mean nothing in comparison to what they've said. I believe that's exactly the words of Peter here. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I love that. That's so applicable to you that are saved to us that are saved and to those that are lost. So life gets hard. So God doesn't answer you the way that you thought he should. Though you're suffering in a way that is difficult to understand, though you're being punished under the chastening hand of our Lord, though you have sought him over and over and come up empty-handed, Though the things in your life, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren's lives are in disarray, so all these things are going on in your life. Where else are you going to go? Do you think that the world loves you this morning? The world doesn't love you this morning. You know, that's, that's an important thing to always remember as Christians or lost people. The world doesn't love you. These institutions that you're employed by, they don't love you. You may help them, but listen, the, the love of God is unconditional. Well, that's the difference in God's love and everybody else's love. God loves us no matter what. God loves us. What, what security in that? What security that you know the one that you're seeking after loves you? No matter how often you pray and fail to be saved, no matter how often you come to him with questions, no matter how often you walk away bitter, murmuring against him, just like these people did as they left Jesus, they murmured at the hardness of his message. Have you ever murmured at God? I have. I'm ashamed of it. And I'm afraid that I'll probably do it again. I'll murmur. You see, I don't outright curse him because I know better, but I murmur. And then I come back with my tail tucked between my legs. Embarrassed to apologize for how many times I've apologized. You ever feel that way? You say, God, I was just here an hour ago. Asking your forgiveness for what I just did five minutes ago. And I told you then I would never do it again. I can't even go an hour. And here I am. You know what Satan does? He mimics the voice of the Lord. And he says, you awful person. God never does that. I confess my sins. And I come before him. And so adequately, so appropriately, rather, on a Father's Day, what does he do? The same thing that I do to my children. I embrace them. And I love them. This morning, you may have murmured at the Lord. You may have been discouraged. Friend, God loves you. God wants to save you this morning. He is eager to save. Sister Marley, what better example, what better evidence this morning than that God can save than what we experienced this morning, what we heard this morning? What better example than a 65-year, a woman who's been deceived for 65 years being saved? What better, what better proof that God still wants to save this morning? And if you don't continue seeking him until you find him, where are you going to go? 
He alone has the words of eternal life. He's the alone. That's the primary. He's the, he's, he's the one that has that. He's the one that has all the other things that I discussed this morning. He's the only one that can bail you out of hell. He's the only one that's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the only one that gives you guidance and direction when perplexity prevails. He's the only one that when you're experiencing hardship like the DeGraffin reads are uh, this very morning that can bring you comfort and peace knowing what God has done. He's the only one that forgives over and over and over. He's the only one that loves unconditionally. God alone does that. And he offers to it, you, excuse me, he offers it to you this morning. I'd like to have a song today. Do you want Christ? Him. To know him. And for him to know you. And to subject yourself to whatever it is that he wants. I pray this morning, if you feel God's convicting spirit drawing you to him, won't you come and pray today? This altar is open this morning, and I believe that God wants to raise sinners off of it to become saints. Won't you seek him today?